Well, good evening. And welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're here continuing in our series of studies in Second Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles, we come to nearly the end of the book, the last chapter. But there are a number of kings, all of them very, very weak kings. And so we're going to look at probably three of them this evening, and then next week we'll close out the study looking at the last of those. Actually, it won't be next week, because next week is um, our worship evening, so it'll be the week after that. We'll close out our series of studies, and we will finish the book. But for this evening, we're going to be talking about three of the descendants of good King Josiah. And the first is King Jehoahaz. And so let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to glean from your word this evening the lessons that are important for our hearts to hear, for our minds to understand, for our spirits to respond to. We ask that as we open your word, you'd make it abundantly clear to us what your will is, and then give us the strength and the power and the anointing to follow your will and to please you with our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start by reading just uh, verses 2 through 4 of the last chapter of Second Chronicles, chapter 36. In verse 2, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. The king of Egypt dethroned him in Jerusalem and imposed a, on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Eliakim a brother of Jehoahaz, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho, that's the pharaoh, but Necho took Eliakim's brother, Jehoahaz, and carried him off to Egypt. That's just sort of reminding us of where we were last week. Jehoahaz had inherited the kingdom of Judah from his father Josiah after Josiah was killed in battle in the 31st year of his reign. Now his father had died prematurely. He was fighting Pharaoh Necho of Egypt when he really probably should not have been. In fact, he was warned not to by Pharaoh, and yet he continued in his somewhat foolishness. And while he was a very good king, among the best, he didn't listen to reason. And I'm not sure exactly why he felt the need to get involved in this battle, but he did. And sort of randomly, he disguised himself as a soldier, wanted to fight, went out there and was picked off by an arrow. But he was trying to prevent the Egyptians from aiding the Assyrians, their enemies, to the north. See, the Egyptians were deciding to align with the Assyrians to try to stop an emerging power called Babylon. And of course, Babylon would become the next world empire. But Jehoahaz thought that it would be better if that didn't happen. And so he got involved seemed to align himself with Babylon. They seemed to have friendly relationship with Babylon at this point. But Jehoahaz had been made king by the people of Judah at the age of 23. If you're looking in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 15, you'll see that he's recorded with the name Shalom. It was another one of his names. Uh, but he's in the royal genealogy. But he was selected by the people as their heir, as the heir to the throne, over his three older brothers, which is peculiar because generally, not always, but generally the kingdom would go to the oldest brother. And not in this case, the people chose this man, Jehoahaz. And Jehoahaz reigned as king for just three months. We're told in Second Kings 23, his mother's name was Hamatal, and 
She was the daughter of Jeremiah. But this, this is a man who never really even had a chance to reign, just three months. Now, we do know from 2 Kings 23, we don't read this here, but that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a good king. He wasn't a good man. He was an evil, wicked man. He did not follow the example of his father, Josiah, who was fully devoted to the Lord as God, and he chose to follow the example of all of the wicked kings of Judah that preceded him. Now, if you read the books of the prophets Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk, they record the moral condition of Judah during the time of his brief three-month reign. But we do learn here in verses 3 and 4, which we've already read, that Jehoahaz was so weak, and the kingdom was at such a time of weakness after the death of Josiah, that he was dethroned and imprisoned by the pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. Now, this is the same pharaoh that was responsible, or at least his army, was responsible for uh, Jehoahaz, father Josiah's death. So this, this is all happening very quickly. You have the armies marching up from Egypt and Josiah going out there to fight in the battle. He's killed. Within three months of his son taking over the kingdom, Egypt decides you don't want your enemies at your back. And so what he does is he sort of conquers them. What he does is he takes Jehoahaz, when they're at a time of weakness, off the throne. He dethrones him and he is imprisoned and taken to Egypt. And that's because this man, Jehoahaz, obviously thought the same way that his father did about the kingdom of Egypt. So Necho took advantage of Judah's current weakness and summoned Jehoahaz. And as I've already said, Egypt was currently aiding Assyria in their war against Babylon. And they needed funds. You know, it's funny. Armies always seem to need funds to promote their vicious wars. You know, I just can't think of any good reason for wars to be fought, and yet they're fought constantly. It's just mankind's way of giving over to the devil and allowing destruction to happen in our world. Oh, there are wars that have to be fought for whatever reasons, but many times wars are fought for the worst reasons. Whatever the case was here, we do know that they needed funds. Egypt needed funds to support their forces, which were currently fighting the Battle of Carchemish, a well-known battle that uh, if you study ancient history, you're probably familiar with. So Jehoahaz was dethroned, and he was dethroned more than likely for refusing to pay tribute to Egypt. So what does Necho, the pharaoh, do? This man with the shortest reign in the history of any of the kings of Judah is dethroned, and then Necho places the kingdom of Judah under heavy tribute and puts his brother, that is, Jehoahaz's brother in power because Obviously, the brother agreed to pay the tribute. So Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim was made king, by, king of Judah by Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt. Think about that. The king of Judah was appointed by the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's almost like when uh, China pays for our politicians to get into office today in our culture, in our country. Uh, you can see they're bought and paid by foreign powers. In some cases, it's China. In some cases, it's other nations. But these, these monies come in from European oligarchs and they get these people into power. Is it any wonder when they're in power then their agenda and everything they promote is anti-American? It's like, wow, really? We thought that was going to happen? You know? Unbelievable. But ignorance reigns reign supreme in today's world. And whatever was going on at that time, it wasn't good for the people of Judah. But Nico placed the kingdom of Judah under heavy tribute. Well, one of the things that happened here is that Jehoahaz's brother, after having been made king, 
was really kind of told what to do. He was a puppet king, if you will. That is Eliakim, who became Jehoiakim. Now, Eliakim, his name meant God is established, but they changed his name to Jehoiakim, which means Jehovah raises up. And the reason that the Pharaoh would have done that is to try to promote this idea that this was God's doing, that God took out the other king and put in this king, because, listen, it doesn't serve the Pharaoh of Egypt to have an uprising. He wants to make nice. He wants to get everybody on the same page. And so this is all politics, as usual. And so Jehoiakim became a willing collaborator that served Pharaoh Necho as a vassal king. And Necho brought the people's choice for king into political exile, and he never returned. You can read about that in Jeremiah 22. Jehoahaz, the king we're talking about, never returned. He was taken into political exile. And Judah became a vassal state under the control of Egypt for the next four years. And what did Jehoiakim do? He used taxation to pay the required tribute to Egypt. You know, we send so much money in our nation today overseas, and it comes from the taxation that's put on us. Have you ever stopped to think about why? It's not hard to figure out why. The people that are put into power are put into power by our enemies. So is it any wonder why the money goes overseas? I just pray every day that it ends. But we have to put it in the hands of God because only God can change these things. Basically, we're ruled by treasonous fools. Sad. Well, that was the case for them. This man was willing to oppress his own people in order to stay in power. (laughs) Sounds familiar. Well, then we talk about Jehoiakim, who was appointed king after Jehoahaz. And we read about his reign in verses 5 through 8 of chapter 36. We read there that Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him, and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, which would be First and Second Kings. And Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. So Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin. Gets confusing, doesn't it? Well, Jehoiakim, as we've already seen, inherited the kingdom of Judah from his brother after his brother was dethroned. So he really isn't a popular king. He's put in power by a foreign uh, power, by Egypt, and then made king at the age of 25. Keep this in mind. He had been rejected by the people as the heir to the throne in favor of his younger brother. He was 25, his brother was 23. So he wasn't the first choice of Judah to be king. But because he was willing to sell his soul, apparently, he was the choice of a foreign power to be king. And so he became that willing collaborator. Jehoiakim reigned as king for 11 years. His mother, we're told in 2 Kings, was Zebedah. And that, she was the daughter of Pedaiah. And those names have some significance because they point to the Lord. But it seems that the next generation just didn't get it. And you, and you ask yourself, were they just wicked for the sake of being wicked? Well, they, they were greedy. They wanted power. And men become wicked when they want power. 
And so, driven by that, they were willing to oppress their own people, to overtax their own people in order to maintain their power. And we know, and we read here in verse 5, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't follow the example of his father, Josiah, just like his brother. And he chose to follow the example of all the wicked kings of Judah. And Jeremiah, the prophets Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Ezekiel recorded the moral condition of Judah during the time of his reign. So there's a lot written about these uh, times and these years in the kingdom of Judah. But Jehoiakim's reign and death is covered by verses 6 through 8. What happened here is that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded Judah in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. Remember that battle of Carchemish takes place. Egypt and Assyria lose. Babylon emerges triumphant. They become the world empire. And they, the kingdom of Judah, through Jehoiakim, had aligned themselves with the losing side. So it's interesting because his, his younger brother, who had been king, had aligned himself with Babylon. That probably would have been a better decision. But now they had aligned themselves with the losing side, and so now retribution against them came. And it's, this is all politics. This is just all politics, unfortunately. So his alliance with Egypt disintegrated after Babylon's victory over Assyria Carchemish in 605 B.C., And he found himself on the losing side of the recent conflict between these world powers. Now, Babylon had become the dominant power, dominant world power, which was predicted by the Lord's prophets. The prophets had told them that this would happen. This is no news. And Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, and he conquered the city, and he spoiled the temple. This is covered in Daniel chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We studied this recently on Sundays. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many others were taken captive to Babylon at this time. This marks the beginning of the prophesied 70-year Babylonian captivity, and all of this took place in 605 B.C. So this gives you some historical background to what we had already studied. And Judah became a vassal state under the control of Babylon for the next three years. Now, Nebuchadnezzar invaded the kingdom of Judah in the 11th year of Jehoiakim's reign. So it wasn't just once. It wasn't sort of a one and done here. Uh, What happened is he invaded the kingdom of Judah in the 11th year, and this is covered in 2 Kings 24. He rebelled, that is, uh, Jehoiakim, the king, rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And, And as a result, in an attempt to gain independence from Babylon, the Lord sent the forces within the Babylonian empire to destroy Judah for their wickedness. God used Babylon to judge Judah for their wickedness. He told them he was going to do it, and it happened, exactly as God had said and continued to say through the prophets. So the Lord was working through Babylon to bring his judgment against Judah. The Lord had predicted the destruction of Judah through his prophets. That didn't happen just yet. And the sins of Manasseh, we studied Manasseh a few weeks ago, whose name means forgotten, The sins of Manasseh were not forgotten by the Lord. The people still had not repented of their sins, and the Lord was unwilling to forgive them because they were unwilling to repent. The the only way you're going to receive and experience the forgiveness of God is if you're willing to repent. Now, nations can repent, individuals can repent, but there is no forgiveness of sins without that confession of sins and repentance of sin And in our case, today in New Testament times, our confession of our sins and our acceptance of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
If you don't repent, you're not forgiven. And it's so, so interesting to me that many churches today don't use that word. They've sort of canceled that word. Repentance. Oh, we don't want to talk about repentance. Let's, let's cancel sin, repentance. Let's, can, let's cancel anything that might offend someone. But the problem is, if you're not identifying yourself as a sinner and repenting of that sin, you're not saved. So the gospel that is being preached today in many places isn't a gospel at all. And that's sad to me. It's actually horrific and blasphemous. So God was willing to forgive them, but they were unwilling to repent. And so, we read it already in verses 6 and 7, Jehoiakim was dethroned and captured by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in 597 B.C. We're told he was bound with bronze shackles to be taken prisoner to Babylon. I believe we already read that. And he was later killed. We, we read about this in Jeremiah 22, verse 19. He was later killed. He was actually mutilated and left unburied. And that's exactly what Jeremiah said would happen to him. But that's kind of ironic because if you know something about this king, this wicked king Jehoiakim who reigned for 11 years, there had been a prophet that had spoken the word of the Lord to him. And this man, Jehoiakim, this king, had denied this man, Uriah, the prophet, a proper burial. In fact, he had him killed. He, he denied him a proper burial. And he had taken the word of God and mutilated it. Took it, tore it up, cut it into pieces. Again, this is covered in Jeremiah. In the end, it was him who was mutilated and left unburied. So he mutilated God's word and he left the prophet of the Lord not only murdered but unburied. And the justice that came against him was this, that he was left unburied, killed and mutilated, just like he had done to the word of God. A very wicked man. Jeremiah has a lot of things to say about this king and his reign. He may, he may have been assassinated by his own people in an attempt to appease Babylon. They didn't like him very much. One of the things to note is that his name, Jehoiakim, is omitted from the messianic genealogy in Matthew 1. That's how hated this man was. History looked at this man with such contempt that when Matthew and the Jews were compiling the genealogy of the Messiah, they just left this guy out. They just skipped over him. What does that say? You know, it's, it's, it's telling. This guy was wicked. And then Nebuchadnezzar further spoiled the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem at this time. So there was, over this time period, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. He had come in. He had taken people prisoner. Uh, this, this took place in 597. In, in 605, he had taken Daniel and his friends prisoner. So they're really basically under tribute, and if they step up and defy Babylon, Babylon comes in and puts them in their place. That's what's going on here over a period of years. And so, this man was guilty of committing detestable things during his reign, this Jehoiakim. As I said, he had Uriah, the prophet, struck down with the sword in Jeremiah 26, as I've said, he cut and burned the book of Jeremiah, actually, the actual book of Jeremiah, in defiance of God's word. And Jeremiah records that in another copy, in chapter 36. 
And Jeremiah prophesied the Lord's judgment against him for his wickedness, and exactly what Jeremiah said took place. So it's important that you know, no matter how wicked a ruler might be, no matter how wicked their policies, no matter how wicked their administration, God knows, God sees, and in God's time, they will receive the judgment of God. And I'm okay with that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Believe me, the worst thing that can happen to a wicked leader is for us to just step back and say, you know what, God, judge this man according to your wisdom and according to your word. That's the, it, it, seriously, I mean, if they repent, great, but if they don't, it's the, it's the worst thing that they could possibly imagine because, you know, we could get involved, but what can we do? What can God do? Well, look what God did. So I look at our leaders today, and I do pray that way. You know that. I pray like the imprecatory psalms of David. Let them fall into the pit that they have made. Let them be trapped by the snare that they have put out there for us. Let them fall into their own traps. And you know what's kind of interesting? That's kind of exactly what I see happening. I trust God. Do you trust God? Say amen. I have to trust God for our world today as well. Well, the record of all of Jehoiakim's other accomplishments, which were very... Uh, very wicked, obviously, has been preserved. As we've said, the book of Second Kings records Jehoiakim's reign as king of Judah. The excerpts of the annals of the kings of Judah are recorded here in this book in Second Chronicles. And Jehoiakim died, having surrendered the sovereignty of the kingdom of Judah to Babylon. He handed it over to a foreign power. Then he tried to stand up against them, and he was taken out by that same power. And his son, Jehoiachin, succeeded his father as king of Judah. At this time, you recognize that the kingdom of Judah was hoping to realign with Egypt against Babylon. They kept going back to different powers, so they would they'd make nice with Babylon, and then they didn't like the way things were going, and so they'd make a deal with Pharaoh of Egypt, and he would promise to protect them, and... Uh, of course, he couldn't. He couldn't protect Judah. Egypt had been defeated by Babylon. So we find the kingdom of Judah in a terrible state, about to be destroyed, and certainly doesn't look good. Finally, for this evening at least, we're going to talk about Jehoiachin and his reign as king of Judah. He's the son of Jehoiakim, who was the brother of Jehoahaz, who was the son of Josiah. So now we've gotten to the one to third generation, so of, from Josiah. In verses 9 through 10, we read Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon, together with articles of value from the temple of the Lord. And he made Jehoiachin's uncle Zedekiah, king over Judah and Jerusalem. So now it goes back up to the previous generation, a brother of the two previous kings, another son of Josiah. But let's talk about Jehoiachin and his ascent to the throne. He inherited the kingdom of Judah from his father after his father was killed, as we've already covered, in the 11th year of his reign. He had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was trying to gain independence. And as we've already seen in verse 6 of this chapter, he was bound with bronze shackles and taken to prisoner to Babylon. Taken as prisoner to Babylon. And now this young man, 18 years old, becomes king. And 
reigns as king for just three months and ten days. Now, the shortest reign was three months. That was Jehoahaz. Well, the second shortest reign is the reign of Jehoiachin, who reigned ten days longer. Obviously, this didn't go well. His mother was Nehushta. You probably recognize that word. It means brass. And uh, the daughter of Elnathan, which means God is given. So there was some hope, but at this point we see it didn't go well. Again, politics. His relationship with the Lord was terrible. If you read in 2 Kings 24, you find out he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, chose to follow the wicked example of his father, and chose to follow the example of all of the wicked kings of Judah that preceded him. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel, recorded the moral condition of Judah during the time of his reign. And so you learn a little bit about that when you read those books. Now, Jeremiah had prophesied, this is interesting, that no son of Jehoiakim would be established on the throne of Judah. He, he recorded that in Jeremiah 36, verse 30. And indeed, he was there for three months and ten days. He was never established on the throne. He never really had a chance to establish himself as king. He was made king, but never really took the rule, so to speak. Now, Jeremiah had also prophesied the Lord's judgment against all of Jerusalem for their wickedness in Jeremiah 20, verse 5. So if you're interested in this time period, the prophet Jeremiah is the one that writes so much about these kings and speaks out against them. And you, you learn a lot about the history of the kingdom of Judah by reading the book of Jeremiah. And then at this point also Ezekiel. So... This man's reign, Jehoiachin's reign, started out badly and didn't last very long at that. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He conquered the city, and he spoiled the temple a second time. Now, this we've already talked some about this, but Babylon had recently invaded the kingdom of Judah in the 11th year of Jehoiakim's reign. So every time they stand up against Babylon, they just send the forces in and take these guys down a peg. And it just kept happening. If they wouldn't pay tribute... They'd send the tax collectors, you know, the IRS agents. They'd send them in, and they would just take the spoil and take what they were supposed to give them. So, Jehoiachin tried to maintain sovereign control over Jerusalem during the siege, but he couldn't. Jehoiachin and the royal family were ultimately forced to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, which they did. And so Jehoiachin was dethroned and imprisoned by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, again, 597 B.C., just three months and ten days after what happened to his father. Jehoiachin was taken into custody to be taken prisoner to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar completely spoiled the temple, which would have been predicted by the Lord's prophets. Nebuchadnezzar took all but the poorest of people from Jerusalem into exile in Babylon at this time just left the poorest people behind. In fact, we're told in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 1 that Ezekiel and 10,000 others were taken captive to Babylon. Jehoiachin, the entire royal family, and all of the leaders were taken to Babylon. 7,000 soldiers, 1,000 craftsmen and artisans were also taken captive to Babylon. And this marks the second phase of the prophesied 70-year Babylonian captivity again in 597 B.C. There are three phases of the Babylonian captivity. 605, when Daniel was taken to Babylon. 597, when Ezekiel was taken to Babylon. And then ultimately, when Babylon is, uh, comes into Jerusalem, destroys the entire city in 586, that's when Jeremiah writes the Lamentations and records the disaster 
uh, the, the absolute devastation of Jerusalem. But we're not going to get to that this evening, not tonight. Well, again, the shortest, second shortest reign in the history of any of the kings of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar then placed the kingdom of Judah under heavy tribute, and guess who was willing to lead the nation? Zedekiah. And this man, whose name was Mataniah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He renamed him Zedekiah, and he carried Jehoiachin off to Babylon. This affirmed that the kingdom was pretty much over. In fact, Mataniah's name means gift of Jehovah, but it was changed to Zedekiah by Nebuchadnezzar, which means the righteousness of Jehovah. Again, the kings did this to make it, say, make it seem as if, saying, look, this is just God's judgment. I'm just doing what God wants. And Nebuchadnezzar could say that because the prophets had said that that was true. So again, politics. It's really, it really is so much of politics in the way these kingdoms behaved. So Zedekiah became a willing collaborator that served Nebuchadnezzar as a vassal king. And Nebuchadnezzar brought Jehoiachin, king of Judah, into political exile, and he never returned. He never returned. And so Judah became a vassal state under the control of Babylon for the next nine years. Just, just must have been a horrific, horrific time in their history. Just a humiliating, degrading time to be of the, of the kingdom of Judah. So... We also learn, though, in Jeremiah 52, verse 31, that Jehoiachin was eventually released from prison. In fact, this is covered in 2 Kings 25 as well. What we learn there is that Jehoiachin was imprisoned in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, when he was just 18 years old. And he was imprisoned in the same place as his ancestor, Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh had been taken to Babylon as well. And while Manasseh was in Babylon, he humbled himself in his distress and repented before the Lord his God. It's as if God has to put him in these situations where things are so horrific that then they cry out and ask for forgiveness. You know, God loves us enough to do that. I think God is allowing our nation to experience that. I think things really have to get just so bad before people will cry out to God. I'm hoping they will. I'm praying they will. As a church, we should be on their behalf. But this is what happened then, and it's what happened again. As far as we can tell, it seems that Jehoiachin may have followed the example of Manasseh and humbled himself before the Lord when he was imprisoned in Babylon. We do know that evil Merodach, or Amal Marduk, he's sometimes called, inherited the kingdom of Babylon from his father, Nebuchadnezzar, in 561 B.C. Now, this man, evil Merodach, had been imprisoned by his own father, Nebuchadnezzar, and released when he became king after his father's death. Now, why was he imprisoned? We don't know. Was it a good reason, a bad reason? We don't know, but he was, and when he was released, he reigned for just two years until he was murdered by his ambitious brother-in-law. Politics, politics, politics. While Jehoiachin, he was the one that was taken to Babylon, was released by evil Merodach of Babylon after having been imprisoned for 37 years. 37 years. It's a long time. But he was finally released. The scripture tells us that. Now what we also know, according to Jeremiah and 2 Kings, is that Jehoiachin was elevated in Babylon when he was finally released. 
In fact, we're told that evil Merodach, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, showed incredible kindness to this man, Jehoiachin, the king of Judah. In fact, most people assume that Jehoiachin had been befriended by evil Merodach while they were both political prisoners in Babylon. They were both in prison, and more than likely, that's how they met. So when evil Merodach was released and became king, he elevated Jehoiachin. Now, you might say, well, why is that important? Well, he was given a position of honor higher than all of the other foreign kings in Babylon. Kind of a Count of Monte Cristo moment. But you know something? This is important because Jehoiachin, for the next two years, became one of evil Merodach's, he's really the emperor, one of his trusted officials. Why is that important? Well, brothers and sisters, Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, was descended from Jehoiachin. So, why is that important? Well, it's very important. Because had Jehoiachin not been preserved, the kingly line of Messiah would have been cut off. So you see how good God is? How gracious God is? And how he never lets his word fail? The Lord had preserved Jehoiachin and his descendants. This fulfilled his promise to David that the messianic line wouldn't be cut off until the son of David appeared. So Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David through his stepfather, Joseph. He inherited that from his stepfather. Of course, it's not his real father, but his stepfather. But that's so important, too, because according to Jeremiah in chapter 36, verse 30, God had pronounced a curse upon the bloodline of Jehoiakim. It was a simple curse. There would never be a king from the line of Jehoiakim to sit on the throne of David. But you see, if Jesus was genetically linked to the line of Jehoiakim, he could never be king. He could never sit on the throne of David during the millennium. But you see, he's not. He received the title from his stepfather. Jesus isn't related to this king by blood. He's only related to him by title, since he's the son of Mary, who's also a descendant of David. We have that genealogy in Luke 3. So here you go, and you you think, well, how is God going to bring the Messiah through the kingly line and not deal with this blood curse on the line of Jehoiakim? But of course, there was no problem. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus didn't inherit the blood curse that Jeremiah pronounced on the line of Jehoiakim, but he received the title from his stepfather, Joseph. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? I just love that God's word is true. Amen? And you can count on it. So if something doesn't make sense in our world today, if you look at the Bible and you read it and you think, "Eh, how is this going to happen? Just remember that. You can rely on God's word. The word of God is sure and trustworthy. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to continue to trust in it, to live our lives in a way that we never doubt the things you've said in your word, that we never doubt your sure word to us, that we trust you. Now, you said you're coming again. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray that you would come. And all of the things that you said would happen before you return will happen. But Lord, you've also said that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we pray for revival. We pray that you change the hearts of our wicked leaders. Do whatever's necessary 
If it's 37 years in prison, whatever it is that's necessary to change their hearts, change their hearts. If you choose to bring judgment, bring judgment. If you choose to show mercy, show mercy. But Lord, rescue us from the wickedness of our leaders in our nation today, in the White House, in in Congress, in the State House, and the legislatures, in government agencies, and in our law enforcement agencies. Lord, we pray that you would intervene, and we pray that when it happens, no one would doubt that it was the hand of God who did it. We have no power, Lord. We have no ability. We have no authority. We, we, We can vote, and even that seems to be not something we can rely on so much anymore. So, Lord, we come to you. We appeal to you. We ask that you would change the hearts of our leaders or change our leaders. Give us leaders that respect you and honor you, that we might live our lives for you and that our country might be great again. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.